Oh, snap, snap, snap. The world is finally waking up to the crap that's baked into and sprayed on kibble dog food. No longer can commercial pet food manufacturers fool us with pretty pictures and false promises. This is the raw dog food truth. The view and opinions expressed on this podcast are not intended to replace medical advice. Before starting any raw diet, do research, ask lots of questions, and consult your vet. Well, hello, Raw Feeders. I'm Dee Dee Mercer Moffat, CEO of Raw Dog Food and Company, where your pet's health is our business, and we're friends like my friend Neely Piazza. You are an amazing nutritionist, but you don't let friends feed kibble, do you? No, that would that would make me a not amazing nutritionist, <laughs> right? That would make you weird. That would make you like not congruent. Yeah. Right? It would not make you congruent with what you do. And um, so what you combine, Niels, you combine um, canine nutrition with homeopathy, right? So clarify what homeopathy is. What is it and why do we need it in our lives? Oh, that's a loaded question. It is a uh, medical modality, I guess. Um, It's quite a bit older than our current toxic, dangerous model that is in effect now. Um, And it's it's based on... um, the premise that like cures like it's more complicated than that and that's not 100 percent true but um and the medicines are from plants or minerals or animals or um uh well that's basically plants minerals and animals basically and they are um diluted and succussed down to such a level that from a molecular standpoint, there is no of the gross material left. So it's kind of like um, you've been looking at the memory of water and structured water and all that kind of thing, right? So it's kind of like that. It's like the the final the final remedy medicine has for for lack of a a better way to say it the essence or the memory of the original right so Mm -hmm. there's um there's no toxicity there's no side effects there's no nothing like that and that it's it's coded on to typically it can be in other forms too but the most common form is that that uh, resulting liquid is coded on to just a really small um, lactose mm-hmm. pellet or fructose pellet. Um, and so the medicine is like on the outside, it's kind of like a candy shell sort of. So, mm-hmm. um, but it can be in liquid or, um, different size pellets or melt away type tablets, things like that. But those are the most com. that's the most common way 
And so, I mean, it's, it's a fairly complicated modality to explain, but um, if you have a, it's based on symptoms. So if you have a presenting symptom, then you would use a remedy that in its gross form would cause that symptom. But in its diluted and succussed form, it prompts the body to overcome that overcome that system. So it's kind of like it I don't want I, I don't know if I should say it this way or not because people will misunderstand and take it wrong, but it sort of creates a uh, the essence of a artificial disease that's similar to the presenting disease, in which case the vital force, overcomes ramps up and overcomes the artificial disease and takes the the uh, real disease out with it the higher potencies means that it's been diluted more which so there's actually even less of the um physical whatever physical substance whatever you whatever you started with so there's a lot of remedies that are made from um typically toxic things and those are usually the best ones but they're completely um no side effects no no danger whatsoever that's that's the great thing about homeopathy do you think that there's any possible way that a pharmaceutical could not be toxic no they're all toxic and they're what, all toxic. yeah and uh, and that is a mindset well, that is not there Neil, well it? if you think about it all, all pharmaceuticals are patented right mm -hmm. and you can't patent something natural so they're all artificial anything artificial that you ingest or inject or whatever is toxic there's always going to be side effects i mean the quote-unquote main effects are the same thing as a side effect. I mean, an effect is a, is an effect, right? So this whole side effect business is that's not that's not really an accurate way to look at it. Anything that happens is a primary effect of that particular pharmaceutical. They are all toxic, and some people, a lot of people, will say, "Oh, there's a time and a place for pharmaceuticals. Have a time and a place." Blah blah blah. I don't believe that, but then you know me i tend to run rogue <laughs> that's all right that's all right um yeah so when they say side effects they should just say here's an effect here's, here's yeah here's the most common effects for this particular see. drug right yeah but that but that sounds really harsh and they don't want to be harsh they just want to be able to kind of give you a little consent, right? So a little bit of a consent. Let me give you a little bit here so I can cover my um my sphincter. And yeah, exactly. Right. So we don't want to say, here are the effects that we typically see if you take this drug, right? Your left nut comes off, your tongue swells up, you know, your big toe, I don't know, whatever. Right? They're just well, that doesn't sound appealing. And it's commonplace for doctors to prescribe off-label, right? Why do you think that is? Because it's a common primary effect. Well, what do you mean, why do they prescribe off-label? 
Because they're taking advantage of the other effects that that drug has that are are listed as side effects. I do think that more and more people are at least becoming aware of these three-letter agencies and really looking at them and saying, I don't trust them. (laughs) I don't trust them. But not enough. Not enough because uh, people are still doing, you know, things that they really haven't uh, investigated. You know, I was, I was talking to Dr. Jasek about, I was, I was at a little party the other day this week, a neighborhood party. And one of the moms there was saying that their dog had low platelets and they had to administer medication to which was so toxic that they had to put on gloves and a mask in order to give this medication to the dog in order to help its platelets. I don't even know where to start with that, you know, because when when I hear stuff like that, I know that there's that, that gap between kind of what we know and where they are is so vast. I'm just going to tick them off. So I don't know what the question would be. How many brain cells do you need to realize that if it's that toxic to you, it's toxic to the dog? Wait a minute. Are you calling people stupid? Are you calling people stupid? (laughs) People get mad when they do that. (laughs) I got to figure out sneaky ways to say it. You got to meet people where they are. What what does that mean? So if I I met that pet parent where they were, would I say (laughs) great choice? What what would I say? I can't meet you where you are on that. How is that helpful? (laughs) No can do, Bubaloo. Oh, my goodness. I can't do it. Hey, I want to ask you about this. So I've had some people, not some people, a few uh, that have said, uh, my dog has a nosebleed. Why would a dog get a nosebleed? And is it serious? I don't know. There could be any number of reasons for that i suppose but the first dog i had that had a nosebleed died so you know okay but come on Niels. i mean that's a loaded question and that's a loaded answer all right that was let me let me elaborate on that one though so you know how i've said years ago i had a dog that um had textbook vaccine damage and all that kind of stuff and she was um not absorbing oxygen, all this, all this other kind of stuff. She basically had, um, hemolytic anemia for basically is what happened. Well, that was, that was how that started. You're saying that this dog that had a nosebleed had, that was the first, the first obvious sign that she was having that, um, delayed vaccine reaction basically Mm -hmm. well does it does it matter how long um or how virulent i guess or how heavy a nosebleed is to say whether it's serious and i've never had a dog that's had a nosebleed i mean is it coming from its brain is it coming from inside its nose did it pop a blood vessel did it scratch itself is it like I, i don't know i that's such a that's kind of like asking my dog has diarrhea. What do I do? I mean, good heavens. There's 5,000 different answers to that question. Why do you ask me so many questions? 
What does that mean? Um, yeah, exactly. What does that mean? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It was it was something that came up in in uh, a group that Brian was in, and somebody said they had a dog who had a nosebleed, um, and they took it to the vet, and the vet put him on antibiotics because it had a cough. So how does that help with a nosebleed? I don't know. I don't know. But I just I would ask about a nosebleed because I was just wondering what you know. I guess it could be dangerous. L- let me ask you. You're talking about a dog that you had that died that had a nosebleed was the was the death during the time that it had a nosebleed after a nosebleed what was the deal there was there was that day that day yeah okay so you feel that the nosebleed from what you experienced back then was it coming from the brain was it coming from inside the nose you have no idea i don't know i don't know all right. Well, my question is: is it is it is it something that our pet parents should be concerned about if their Again, dog? I don't know. You have to look at it. Is it coming from a scratch on the outside? Is it a bl- blood vessel that's popped right on the inside? Is it because they're at high altitude? Is it? I mean, did they like turn around real fast and whack themselves in the nose and in the wall or something? I I mean, I don't know. That's Okay. It could but, be. But it here's, could be. Here's the conundrum. Here's the conundrum, Miss Neely Piazza, is that we don't know where the blood is coming from in the nose. And that would require that you take your pet to the vet. Well, hopefully you're smart enough to look at it and see where see what the issue is. But but Niels, if I'm looking at the dog and I go, okay, there's no scratch on the nose. I'm kind of maybe looking up the nose. I can't really tell if it's a blood vessel that's popped. And you're saying that you had a dog that died that day. That's frightening. What are we going to do? We're not, we, we're, we, what do we do? Well, obviously going to the vet didn't help. Dog still died. You leave me no out on this one. All right. So on that, we really don't have a solution for you folks, <laughs> but <laughs> what we're saying is that it could be a plethora of things. So I'll check back. I'll check back uh, with Brian and have him check back and make sure this dog didn't pass away. The situation that I had w- is was pretty extensive and pretty, I mean, my dog was gushing blood from her face. Uh. It's not like she just had a trickle or a little bit of a nosebleed. She was like gushing blood out of her nose. It was obvious. Wow. Hey, so have we talked about this before? What was it that happened that you said, hmm, toxins aren't good for my dog, and I think I'm going to start feeding a raw diet? I mean, where were you in, in, in your rearing of animals that that became apparent to you or you thought it was a good idea? So my mom was a corgi breeder, right? And she was just on a personal level. She was always into nutrition and things like that. So it was always a primary thought process so when she was raising puppies she was always looking for better food for her puppies because she was like 
you know, eating the same thing every day can't possibly be good for anybody. Just using basic critically thinking, you know, so she was always looking for something better and things to add and all that kind of thing. And so having grown up that way, I was always looking for something, you know, what's the best way to do this and best way to do that. And when I took my first animal massage class one day during lunch, so, it, you know, we'd have we'd have our, our lessons and everything, and then we'd sit down at lunch and talk about other things. And while we were at lunch, they were talking about um, buck flowers and um, acupressure. And then one day was um, food. And... It was just, you know, they're they're like, one of the options is raw diet. And light bulb went off in my head. And I'm like, God, I'm a complete and utter idiot. Why did I, why did somebody have to tell me that? Why didn't I come up with that on my own? Wait a minute. Did you call yourself stupid at that time? No, I called myself an idiot. Oh. <laughs> and I, so that day I went home and, you know, that was decades ago. There was no information out there about it i think there was like two books right that were even available it was probably billinghurst dr billinghurst Uh, yeah yeah Yeah, so dr billinghurst and uh kimothy schultze um so before that week was out i had read one of them and gone out and bought the stuff and prepped everything. And I was doing DIY then, obviously, because I'd never, you know. So, I yeah, I just switched them and never looked back. I never, it never, I'm like, well, that seems awfully obvious. And off we went. That was before I was, you know, anti-vaccine and anti-antibiotics and Anti all that that was way before any of that entered in. Right. Right. And I didn't figure out that the dog that died was from vaccine damage till a little bit down the road either. And then the more I learned about that, I was like, oh my gosh, that's exactly what was wrong with Loxy. That was that's the story of her life as she was growing up. These are the things that were wrong with her. That's that was ultimately her problem. So, and I, I, my roommate for part of that was a vet. So, um, you know, she didn't, she never suggested anything like that was wrong with her. The more and more that we talk to pet parents and the more and more we hear what's coming out of the traditional, uh, veterinary industry. But it's, it's worse now than it was back then. Because in Dr. Connor Brady's book, he kind of breaks it down of kind of when they begin to infiltrate, right? Yeah. Um, and they vets used to be more open-minded, you know, and the the curriculum wasn't quite the same and they weren't quite as um, bought out as they are now. But 
I mean, yeah, the inform they still didn't have proper information, but they weren't as adamant and um obnoxious and all that about about all that stuff as they are now. Yeah, you know, I told you that um I I have talked to Dr. Tom Longsdale, okay? Um and he is in Australia, Sydney. And they're in the process of moving um, their servers, so they will come on the podcast. But they oh, are well, that's cool. Yeah, uh, but he said that um, the main thing that is happening is the UK House of Commons has uploaded their new petition, which is an inquiry into the pet food industry and its relationship with the vet profession. Um, and so he's got, we've got six months together, 100,000 signatures. And so, uh, we need to get that information out there, but there's a petition and it says doctors recommend fresh, minimally processed food to help prevent diet related diseases. But some members of the veterinary profession have endorsed processed food for pets and if concerns have been raised that some members of the profession have an inappropriate relationship with the pet food industry and um you know certainly we could say that would be the case and uh, he says that we should look at the reasons for this disparity and why they're implicating that you know, that there's this inappropriate relationship. And it says in his um, information, he said, we should also look at the nutrition education that vet students receive. Yeah. And and that they believe, Dr. Longsdale and his group, that the health and the welfare of pets is best served by foods, such as raw meaty bones, that reflect the range of a nutritional need, not processed foods which we've but, been banging that drum forever right and he has two i mean obviously and lonsdale's book was out back then too so i had billinghurst lonsdale and timothy he he we need to get this information out to help people um uh, sign on to this and let me just give you that website link guys it's going to uh, i hope that this gets you there but it's going to be petition dot parliament dot you yeah it's got a petition number i'm gonna have to get the link out because i don't think anybody's gonna be able to remember that petition number um can you post it under the podcast yep yep i can i can do that and i will um but there's there's a lot of information out there that they're you know bringing out whether anything helps or not it's processed pet foods and vets Let's see. Well, there's else. definitely um, an incestuous relationship between uh, big pet food and the veterinary schools. Mm -hmm. and there has been. There always has been. I mean, you know, Hills has been um, sponsoring vet schools and vet students and giving free vet uh, pet food and um, basically running the nutrition classes in the American vet schools for. 20 30 years at least right and now you know purina's on that bandwagon now too 
Um, but you know, that was the biggest, best marketing thing that Hills ever did because I mean, Hills is by far the lowest, worst quality kibble there is. It's horrible. Yeah, and and, yet, and it's and, it's it's marketed as premium. It's disgusting. I can't. I mean, with dogs that come in the kennel eating that, it, it's so greasy that you can't put a feeding cart in there because it greases over and melts the ink. You open it, and I just want to gag. I mean, I could. I got to the point where I couldn't even. I couldn't even be in there if they were feeding that because it's just disgusting. Right. But think about this, Neely. $147 billion versus these, you know, smaller companies like mine and all the other raw companies out there. That's a giant. That is a giant. And so, you know, when we have this pushback from, from, the veterinary industry, when we have this pushback from pet parents because my vet said this, well, I get it. They've got all the money to incentivize the vets to scare the pet parents. They've got all the money to put out the glossy um, magazines. But what they don't have, what they don't have are healthy pets. Mm, yeah, that's and so I, I'm I'm befuddled by that because I'm like, what is it about healthy pets versus unhealthy pets that's confusing? Well, most people have never seen a truly healthy dog, right? A right, lot that's of vets the truth. Have never seen a truly healthy dog. Oh, come on, right? they have, they have, they they. If you, like I've said, don't tell them you're feeding a raw diet, you know, like Becca, my manager. I didn't say all of them. I said a lot of, a lot of vets have never seen a healthy dog. They see it, you but can't... they won't admit it. <laughs> There's not enough raw feeders in the world for every vet to have seen a raw fed dog. Well, you're probably right That's about my that. Point. That's you're, my point. <laughs> you're, yeah, thank you. You're probably right about that, right? Um. And and so the standards for health have greatly been lowered, for sure. Right, exactly. That's exactly where I was going because people, I I've had people say that their vet said their dog was too thin, and I look at them and I'm like, your dog's perfect. Your vet's never seen an appropriate weight on a dog, right? Mm -hmm. All all they see is um, kibble bloated, yeah. overfed, undernursed dogs. And granted, some of them look better than others, but, um, you know, a raw fed dog's always going to look better. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, so it seems like there's a lot of stuff that's kind of coming out today. You know, there are class action lawsuits going up. Um, I haven't found the actual documentation, but I have heard that they're posing either some sort of class action some type of lawsuit against the VCAs because they're coming in and buying up all the independents and then they're jacking their prices up. Now, I don't know. Is that called a monopoly? Can you, is that a monopoly? <laughs> yeah. Well, this is part, part of the problem too, is all the, you know, even with, um, 
even with the food is it's all the the main umbrella is a huge corporation and that's basically the government so that's why it's so hard to um push back against that because it has the whole weight of the corporate world plus the government behind it you know um a lot of people ask us how to switch a puppy onto a raw diet. And I was reading in um, Dr. Tom Longsdale's information and he said, you know, do you introduce raw gradually or do you just switch them? And he's like, just switch them. Just like we say. He was like, that's what, yeah, that's what we say too. Yeah. You know, he said, okay. I I, I just I, I can't bring myself I can't bring myself to feed anything, but particularly a baby puppy, something toxic. I just can't do it. I I mean, there's no there's there's no need to do that. And like I said before, the only the only fails that I've had with people are people that mix and try to do the gradual transition. If you just if you just do it, it's fine. Right. And you know what he says? He says that at three weeks, and this goes for puppies and kittens, but he says at three weeks old, they will begin to get interested in what their mom's eating. Mm -hmm. Okay. And he says by six weeks of age, six weeks, guys, they can eat chicken carcasses, rabbits, and fish. I mean, all those have bones in it. Raw feeding breeders will give will put out um neck bones and things like that for mm-hmm. the puppies when they're mm-hmm. right about four or five, six weeks. Right. But you know, they're big enough. They put out stuff that's big enough that the puppy's not going to be able to go through it and choke on it or anything. They're just going to gnaw on it kind of, but that's, that's a lot of how they introduce, introduce that. And, you know, Dr. Um, Billinghurst and Longsdale both say this, folks, for those of you that worry about bacteria. <laughs> dogs can. Dr. Cons- Billinghurst says poop is part regular part of the diet. So he's, the, you know, bacteria is our friend, people. <laughs> right. And viruses don't exist. So get over it. <laughs> right. They're saying dogs can't consume ripe food. Right. And they'll even bury their bones and then come back and get them later. So I don't see where frozen food, okay, that um, you get either by shipment or you pick it up um, is going to be compromised in that in that travel time. It's just not. And I, I will say this, that we have tested this in so many different ways, whether that be Neely, whether that be my staff or a combination of all. And we can never duplicate an issue again, that a pet parent seems to have, right? Because there are other factors that we're not duplicating, right? Whether that is, uh, toxic, (laughs) right. Or, Or it could just be certain treats or it could be, um, Fabric so it could be so many different things that are in the household. But if we're just looking at food, right? So the other day we had some um food that came back from UPS. So it traveled, 
right? It traveled to a state and then it ended up getting lost and coming back to us. By the time it got to us, it was thawed out. Now, it was still cool. I will say cool, but it was thawed out. What do you think we did? I'm pretty sure you fed it. You're right. Four different households fed it. All good. Everybody's good. All good. All good. So my point is this, that we have to get past this. My dog needs to eat something extremely clean. Now, I'm not talking about um, stuff that has herbicides or pesticides in it. That's not what I'm talking about. But bacteria and germs, right? We've got to have certain bacteria. That's one of the main benefits to feeding raw is that it is still living food and it does still have that stuff in it. Right. Well, and you saw, you saw that video of uh, when I was thawing out those turkey necks. They were slimy and glistening. You know, I ran them through the ran them through the grinder and mixed them up with some other stuff, and they've been eating that ever since I did that. There's one or two packages left. They're fine. Even the puppy was fine. I mean, she right. didn't have an issue with it. Right, and and you know, sometimes I hear. Um, this, and I've never been able to duplicate it myself. I'm not saying this isn't true, but I, but I, but I would have to question what is happening. So sometimes pet parents will open up a blend and they will say, this smells off. What does that mean? I know, right? What does that mean? If it has tripe in it, yeah, it's going to smell off. And you guys, tripe is going to smell different depending upon the season and what the cow is eating or what that ruminant animal is eating, right? Yeah, it never smells the same. And it doesn't smell the same within a blend either. I mean, a a tube of tripe that's by itself smells one way and then a blend that has tripe mixed in with it smells completely different. And for some reason, whatever protein it's mixed with it smells different if it's with a different protein. So, yeah, it, it's it's not going to smell the same. Turkey always smells funny, not funny, but different. Mm-hmm. That one is that one is um, notorious for smelling different. Um, it's kind of like you know their poop should look different every day. Pretty much every chub you open should smell different because it's not it's not exactly the same thing as the last chub was because it's actual real individual you know different individual prey animals in each one it shouldn't none of that should be exactly the same right and here's the thing you're not always going to get the same cow from the same farm these every time right there are many different farms um that and, and again depending where they are um what, what the kind time of grass is. they have all, all that yeah so um when when this occurs okay so if and i had this recently where somebody was concerned because they opened up a tripe blend and this tripe blend has fish in it and tripe and beef and organs okay and it it was very pungent to them, to which they, sure. right? Uh, curls her nose hair, to which they said the dog refused to eat. 
Okay. Now, from my experience, the stinkier, the, the better, more, the better. The dogs like it. So when I hear that, I go back and start looking at, at least in my uh, system, what they're feeding the dog. And what I typically find, guys, when a dog refuses food, one of two things. Been on the same protein way too long, okay? Way too long, especially one mm -hmm. that has fish and tripe in it, okay? Um, but any of those, if, if a dog has been eating the same thing for a long time, okay, which this was the case with this particular pet. And I, I said, okay, what, why are we just doing beef? What, what is the deal here? Why aren't we, you know, doing a variety? And they said, well, my dog is allergic to every other protein. And I said, that's really not possible. That's really yeah, not. Yeah, not true either. The, those tests are not accurate. Whatever your whatever your dog has in its system is what it's going to come back sensitive to. Um, all those things are they may have phases of time where one protein will affect them one way and uh, another one not or something. But all those things are transitory. It's not a permanent condition. There's some reason that they're reacting to a particular protein at a particular point in time. And it always has something to do with vaccine or pharmaceutical status, some sort of a toxic input status. It always has something to do with that. So, um, or maybe they're just tired of it, Niels. Well, yeah. And that's the other thing is, you know, you're, everyone knows that I don't believe in complete balance or not that I don't believe in it, but there's no such, no such animal because nobody, Nobody knows what that really is. None of the research is accurate. It's all a bunch of hogwash. So there's definite parameters to to, to stay within. But the way you hit all those um, vitamin, mineral, amino acid, fatty acid goals is by rotating your proteins. You can't. I mean, if you're going to feed exactly the same thing every day, you might as well feed kibble. I'm going to cut your time. I mean that. That well, I mean, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, it's I get you. Um, you're not. I mean, yeah, it's it's definitely better, but the whole part of the whole point is to rotate. I mean, you have to, and different dogs are going to have different different palates, just like people. They're going to have different preferences. Um, those preferences may change throughout the year with the weather, with you know. I mean, most people don't want a bowl of chili in 95-degree July weather, right? Right. But they don't really want watermelon in minus 20 in a snowbank either. So those kinds of things will change throughout the year. Um, different, um, different constitutions, dogs with different energetics and normal, their normal personality and constitutions are going to do better with um, some proteins versus others just by nature of who they are. Those things are true, but that doesn't mean that they're going to, you know, if some test comes back, oh, my dog's allergic to this, that's a lot of hogwash, to be honest. Yeah. 
Well, and I think what happened was through the years, months, that this pet parent got it in their mind that their dog was actually allergic to more things than even the test had said. Because, and she was very open to, you know, the the recommendations and to look at things like we suggest, okay? Um, well, that's good because a lot yeah. of people aren't, aren't, but that's good because, right. you know, I can see how if you're navigating this, um, it's kind of a new thing and there is definitely no help from the veterinary industry, that's for sure. And a lot of the, even a lot of the raw food people are not helpful. But I said to her, I said, well, I okay, see, yeah, yeah, let me look what, what it, and so she said, oh, okay, well, my dog really only was showing an, uh, uh allergies to chicken. Okay. Well, if you had vaccinations, that, that could be possible. Right. But, or if it was on kibble, then I would probably throw it out the door. But so I said, well, you're in luck because we have duck, we have turkey, we have lamb, we have pork, we have rabbit, we have fish. Um, there's a lot of other things that you can feed besides just beef or beef and chicken right? There, there are many other mm -hmm. things that you can feed. And so she put in an order for some other stuff. And I said, and two, you don't have to throw away that which your dog is refusing at the time. They'll come back to it maybe later. Yeah, exactly. Just save it and offer it again a couple months down the road. Or in a little bit, give them, give them, you know, a month or so to eat new stuff. Maybe you do half and half right? Half of the, the meat type product yep. with, with half of something else. So these are just some, some tips and some recommendations. When you see a dog refusing food, there was a comment one time that a parent thought that the dog could sniff out. Um, oh, I remember that salmonella. Yeah. Bad bacteria. I was like, well, um, they can't, it'd be great if they could, Right. Because then you have to take that reasoning and say, if a dog could sniff out something that was not good for them, they wouldn't eat rat poisoning or antifreeze. Right. Or death cat mushrooms. Well, and the, that argument that that instance in particular, you're surrounded with salmonella. There's salmonella everywhere. I would just say that, again, we have to break free from these narratives that are not true. Right, because we need bacteria in the world. Um, bacteria is there as your friend. I'm not saying that right. there there aren't toxins because there are toxins, right? Yeah, there Herbis are definitely toxins in in the environment. That's 100 percent true. Yeah, yeah, those are different, guys. Bacteria and toxins are two different things, and so that's one thing that we hope that we can help you guys shift, but. A lot of people will say, well, my dog's refusing it. And I put it right in the freezer, right? As soon as I got it. And I'm like, I so, I don't I don't think it has anything to do with the way you handled it. I'm I'm not even questioning that. The main the main things that I see the dogs that won't eat are one, like what you said, they're they're tired of the same thing over and over again. You're feeding them too much. Too often. Or too often. Those are, those three things are probably 99% of the, of dogs refusing to eat. And then there's behavioral components um, in there too. There's, I was talking to 
one lady over the last couple of weeks and her dog has trained her to, you know, she freaks out if she won't eat. So she just like finds something until she will eat. And now, now the dog is a year and a half old and won't eat anything. She won't eat anything. I'm like, okay, you're just going to have to, this is a tough love thing. And this is something that this dog has learned and it's going to be a little bit more difficult to unlearn it. And it makes it really hard to tease out if there really is a physical issue. She's not showing any, you know, mm-hmm. I've, I've asked every question I can think to ask and She's not showing anything, but this poor lady is like pulling her hair out. She's like at her wit's end. And I don't, I I have an incredible amount of sympathy for her because I can only imagine how frustrating that is. And, you know, of course she's worried about her dog and doesn't know what to do. And I totally feel for her there, but um, that was one of those little minor behaviors that turned into a huge problem later. Right. You know, if, if, uh, if your dog's not eating, let's take a look at maybe why. And 99.9% of the time, it won't be because, uh, there's a quality control issue with your food. That was the one. That's what one of the pet parents said. My dog always tells me that there's quality control issues. And I'm like, really? Because I so wish that all the dogs in the world would do that about kibble, right? They're not, you know, know. no. So anyway, well, listen, guys, um, work with Neely Piazza. If your dog has been strung out on high sugary diets, if your dog has been um, toxified, as I call it, toxified, She can help unwind that and set you on the right road. Neely has worked with some of the worst of the worst that I have seen. And it's not overnight. It's not going to be overnight. Your dog didn't get there overnight. Your cat didn't get there overnight. So uh, it is unreasonable to think that you will, you know, it will all be fixed overnight. overnight. But you got to get, you got to get on the health train. And uh, Neely Piazza certainly has the 40 plus certifications and the expertise to help you get there. You can find her at whole, W-H-O-L-E, wholeanimalwellness.com. You can also find her on my website in the Learning Center. Um, And so I, I think that it is money well spent because the diseases that develop from these traditional ways of thinking, from the traditional um supposedly health regimens are going to cost you many, many thousands of dollars and many hours of heartache uh, if they get in that compromised position. So this is a great way to head that off. Head over to wholeanimalwellness.com. Make sure you get your dog on a species appropriate diet. Uh, If you are overwhelmed, which most people are when they come to the site and coming in the new year, I'm going to have the site designed a little bit better uh, via um, uh, videos so that it explains, um, you know, what you should feed a, a Doby, what should you feed a, a, a down, um, a, a dachshund, uh, the same thing. Okay. It doesn't matter what breed they are really. Um, but we'll get that. So you don't have to read because gosh knows that people don't like to read Niels. Don't, don't like it. 
Don't like it. I don't think they teach people how to read anymore. <laughs> it's just there's too much information out there. We're just, you know, our minds are just overwhelmed. So I get Sensory it. Sensory overload. Sensory overload, yeah. right? And that's uh, sometimes what happens when you come to the site. If that happens, go to the contact page. There is a I'm overwhelmed button. Just hit that <laughs> and uh, we'll help you out. So get over to rawdogfoodandcompany.com where your pet's health is our business. And what, Neil's? Friends don't let friends feed kibble. That's right. We'll see you guys soon, everybody. Bye-bye. Oh, snap. snap. Find out how you can start your dog on the road to health and longevity. Go to rawdogfoodandcompany.com, where friends don't let friends feed kibble and where your pet's health is our business. Just snap.